Stand by for the Terry Saul Show. Five, roll tape. Four, cue Terry. Three, bring audio up. Two, stand by. One, play intro. Stay tuned for the Terry Soul Show, Soltissimo, on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 and 1220 AM, KSLM. Good morning, and welcome to the Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, KSLM AM and FM. I am your host. I'm so glad that you joined us today, joining us in the studio, as she does each and every week, Amanda Smith. Good morning, Amanda. How are you? Good morning. How are you? <laughs> Picking up the dog and yes. threw you a question. Sorry. And today we have Marion County Fire Chief Kyle McMahon joining us. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing Glad fine. Thank here. you. Thank you for coming in. and uh, My pleasure. Coming back for more abuse, right? Y- you bet. <laughs> Keep coming. Hey, you be nice to him. I'm going to be very nice. Well, he's a firefighter. you, you got to be nice to them. Right, right. And, and he's... He's one of the head honchos. He is. So I really got to suck up to him. There you go. You're so learning. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, last time you were here, we talked a little bit about the, the fires that we had a couple of years ago. You were actually where when those fires were taking place in Labor Day two years ago? Uh, for Labor Day, I was heading up to up the canyon, Sandy M Canyon, okay. to help the local fire departments and the fo- local fire chiefs uh, coordinate. How bad was that? It was pretty bad, and it only got worse. Yeah. As, uh, is that, is that the it. worst you've seen in, in your career? How long have you been a firefighter? I've been 29 years, okay. 29 and a half years. Thank so you where would service. you rate Thank that? You. That was probably not number one. Really? Uh, just in the amount of fire, stressful, um, situationals that uh, we were put in up there. And okay. That's- You're a tough guy. I know that. Okay. <laughs> but did you get scared? Yeah, I, I was scared. What, that were you, night. what were you afraid of? What, what bothered you the most? Um, to, to The chance to lose my life, but to lose other people's lives. Yeah. You know, that's, you go into the fire service and, you know, you want to be safe. And obviously we run towards fire and burning buildings while everybody else runs the other way. You know, lives are, that's what we're supposed to do is protect lives and not let danger happen to them. And that's not something that I've, Thought I could accomplish that night. Really? Um, How I long were you there? there? We were on uh, up Beachy Creek, up up into the canyon in Detroit for about uh, sixteen hours before yeah. we were able to get get out and get to safety. So there was a chance that you may not get out. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. During what the happened? during the middle of the night, uh, as we're evacuating Detroit, because everybody was still in campgrounds, and because it was Labor Day weekend, there were right. still people going on, and they were going to evacuate uh, Detroit the, the next day. Okay. Um, so when I get there up there, I called for the evacuation with the sheriff's office, um, and then met up with the Detroit volunteers and their fire chief. Okay. We start evacuating Detroit, Idana, telling people. Start heading down the canyon, go west, go west. That got cut off. So then we said, okay, go east. Um, go up to the Sandy M Pass and back to Albany, go to Bend. That got cut off from the lion's head coming over. And then Brighton Bush was also cut off by fire and debris. So, so it was all around you. It got to the point in the morning, Tuesday morning, where we were uh, huddled down on Mongold State Park with 76 uh, citizens kids, families, elderly folks with the volunteers from Detroit Fire Department. So so what happened? How we, did you how did you get out of it? We, I remember something about that. Didn't they didn't they have to like get a helicopter to come in or something? 
Yeah, so we had fire up above the Mongol State Park, which we were in a good spot. We had the water of the Detroit. Um, we started clearing the area. Um, the State Fire Marshal's Office um, worked with emergency management to get Blackhawk helicopters up there to get us out. They flew around for us overhead. Um, we could hear them. We couldn't see them. They, for 45 minutes, they tried to find an opening, but you there was... You couldn't see them at all? No. They're the, right overhead, but you can hear them, but you the, can't see them. Yes, the smoke, smoke, it was terrifying because you knew, okay, I'm a firefighter. I can get out, right? Right. I, I got saws, we'll go. This is what I do. Right. But that wasn't our job. Our job was to protect those 76 people that were counting on us to get them through. So we were preparing to... Hunker down there, start spraying water, let this thing burn over. Blockhawks above us, they hovered for about 45 minutes, and they couldn't wow. see. And they had to get back to Salem to run, because they were going to run out of fuel. Right. So that was pretty, de- very demoralizing. Like, So, oh, so, so what happened? So eventually, the... Uh, command part of the command staff from the lion's head over in redmond sent crews over through brighton bush to clear a lane for us and we finally got to the point where we were going to get all the citizens out led by one of the firefighters and get them up to basically mount hood is the way that you got to go up there and over to madras Um, and then some of the firefighters we were going to stay stay and we were going to fight and help save detroit then uh, they said no. So we got all the citizens out. Long way. Uh, command staff from Lion's Head came over and said, you got fire just on the hill right above Detroit. We didn't know that. We knew the fire was all around us, but not how close because the smoke was couldn't even see, you know, 100 feet. Right, right. The fire was right above us and blew through Detroit if you go back there after that event so they were like nope nobody's staying you guys need to get out too so we followed all the citizens out there but my word you know when all your do this that's cut off send them that way that's cut off fire's coming well what do i do with 76 people at any point when you're realizing there's a chance you may not get out are you are you trying to make peace with yourself and and okay this this could be the way I go? Yeah, you know, in, in that moment you're like, gosh, you know, I'm I'm worried about myself and my family and you know, there's no cell service, there's no radio. Okay. It's not like you can talk to anybody. So it's like, okay, well, this is the way we're gonna go. Well, the two things that you don't want, you don't want to, I don't want to burn and I don't want to drown. So we're gonna hunker down and you know we'll see what we can get get through this because people do survive it you know a burnover situation but is that where they i've seen in movies where they have the um those like like aluminum or something yeah like a foil that they put over them and they go to the ground and hunker down is that is that a real thing that people do yeah yeah is that something you guys were going to have that that we were we were preparing to do that the problem that we had was because uh, there's a television show right now called Fire Country that's on. Yes. And, and and I saw them the other day, one of the previews there, that CBS is really hammering the heck out of it, where they did that. They laid down. They put this foil. What does that do? How so, does it work? So basically it's in a small little pouch, you know, kind of a fanny pack thing that we have on, on our side. And you take it out. You kind of whip it in the air. And then you get in it. And basically the, the foil is to keep basically the radiant heat as much as it can away from you. It's still going to get hot. You're probably still going to get burned, but it makes it a survivable, potentially survivable right. incident. 
you know, so that's it's a the, that's the that's the last line of defense. Like, if anything's going to save you, this this may. And there's multiple dozens of firefighters that have died when they've had to deploy their shelters because it's just so hot. Right. But most of the time, you know, it's survivable. But we only had one for each of us, mm-hmm. not for the seventy six <gasps> citizens. Yeah. We that we don't have extras. Right. We're required to carry so them on a person. What did you do? What do you do? What, our plan was to put the trucks, we had everybody on the pavement. We were going to push everybody basically to the water, in the water or right close, and start spraying, drafting water out of the, the lake right. and basically make creating a whole water curtain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had a lake on one side, so we knew we keep it cool over here. It's going to get warm. It's going to get hot, but allow things to burn over, and then, you know, we'll wait for somebody who's going to come. We'll be able to do something once this all come kind of goes down. And then the one thing that you don't do is panic, right? You can't panic because all the citizens are looking at you like... Is that really hard not to, though? It is, but that's something that we're trained to be mentally strong and be calm in those situations because, that, frankly, that's what people that can't, you know, that are dispatchers or police officers, firefighters, EMTs, you know, they freak out like, ah, what do we, what do we do? Well, out of that chaos, we have to make organization this is what we call it. Okay. And all this chaos of what's going on, nobody knows what to do. People will panic. You've got to say, this is what you're doing. Just mm-hmm. listen to what we're doing. And you're thinking, going through your head, you know, myself, my family, all these people, how am I going to keep them alive? What, who's going to come find me? Mm-hmm. What is it going to be like? All of those things are going are, through are your you brain. Are you also thinking about your, your, your fellow firefighters that you, as a fire chief, brought up from, you know, the fire station there? Are you thinking about what could happen to them as well? Yeah. You know, as a fire chief and, you know, it's a task force leader up there, you're responsible for all these people. So, you know, you've taken on this big responsibility and you're telling them, I need you to come up knowing that this is the scariest thing that we've ever experienced. Right. This, all, this happens in California. This is, this is, we're not going to see that right. here. Right. And here we were, you know, in, in a situation we've never, we've trained for. Which is good that you've been had training for, but, you know, you don't know how it's going to... You don't know the outcome. I, no, I don't know the outcome. I don't know what's everybody, you know, it's midnight, four o'clock in the morning. You know, what's their what's their state of mind, oh, you know, yeah. and, and you, here you are as a fire chief going, I'm sending my crews into danger. I send my crews into danger every single day. And the worst thing that I want is somebody have to say, you know... They got injured or killed because of the decision I made. That's yeah. going to be a lot to weigh on your shoulders. It so is. That's the how, thing that keeps you awake. Yeah. If anything keeps me awake at night is to injure or kill a, a citizen or a firefighter. So how did how did it get resolved? How did you get out of there? So we um, they cleared Brighton Bush Road, and we were able to drive, um, I think, Brighton Bush Road and Forest Service Roads up to Highway 26. Some of the people broke off and went towards Madras. And we just drove slowly through through fire and debris, um, clear enough to get some cars through. And, and we're and watching some of the newscasts and stuff as, as they were showing it. I mean, the fire's on both sides of the road, and mm-hmm. it's, it's going back and forth across the road. Mm-hmm. And you guys are driving through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thankfully, the winds had calmed down a little bit that, you know, wasn't blowing fire flames across the road. But we had flames on both sides. You know, and everybody had to keep calm. So we had 
firefighters in the front in vehicles and in the back to keep everybody moving. Yeah. So they didn't like freeze. Did it? Um, did you damage to your fire trucks and all of that going through those roads? We didn't. Luckily, we did not damage anything. Oh wow! On that exit. That's amazing. Because there were some fire trucks that were toast, right? Yes, the the one that's on the commonly used picture from Detroit is the um, myself and a few other their firefighters were the last people to touch that truck when they left it in front of the station in City Hall in Detroit. Really? And it burned up. Do you think about it often? I do. It, it's something that never goes away with you from you, and to this day, even driving up there. You you get you know exactly where all the fire fire was, you know you're you're like oh I was in that area I was there yeah. and it's like you you can't hardly look at Mongol State Park you know yeah. it's a beautiful area up there and even just when things get hard it's like wow you know but I use it as a force of strength too to look what we did accomplish exactly we, we didn't get lose anybody up there 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 were tragically people that that died in that that fire but not. The ones we we accomplished our mission, right? And that's what brings me strength. Like we did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Do you ever go back up in that area? Have you been up there since then? I do. I, I've been up, visited with uh, their chief, their volunteers, brought them equipment. And then what does that drive- do for you? Does that help or does that make it rough? Both. It, it, the, the, bittersweet. The, it, it's bittersweet, and it's just the what I will say. It's just the journey. It's just what you have to do mm-hmm. and let the emotions do whatever they're going to do. Wow. You. Do you talk with your firefighters now back at the station about this is what happened up there or this is what I experienced up there? And are you sharing that with, with your people? Yeah. We, we fire service in general, but me specifically, you know, we, we teach those because that's something for them to put in the back of their brain. That it's real. Yeah, that it's real. It's something that can, it's not just California. It's not just Australia. This the kind of stuff can happen here. Put whatever little nugget you want to put in your brain. So if it ever, ever happens again, oh, you know. Yeah, I've been through this before. I learned something about it. Um, Can you imagine the firefighters that went into the World Trade Center? That as everybody's coming out, like you said, they're going in, knowing that there's a good chance they may not come out. Yeah, and and that subconsciously you know that, but that's not something you think about as a firefighter. Right. That's just our job. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more with today's special guest. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show with Amanda Smith on 104.3 FM and 1220 AM. Today's show brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Condition, Don Lule Homes, Teresa Lule, State Farm Insurance, back after this short timeout. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group. We're back in five, four, Q Terry, two, one, you're on. Welcome back. This is the Terry Saw Weekend Show with Amanda Smith. We are talking with uh, Fire Chief Kyle McMahon from the um, Marion County Fire District. Did I get it right? Yes, you did. Uh, we are talking a little bit about the, the fire that was up in Detroit there a couple of years ago. And you said that there's three different evacuation alerts. What are they? Yep. Three levels, um, one, two, and three. One is be, be ready. Two is get set. And then three is go. One, it's kind of yellow. Hey, something's happening fairly close. 
kind of get your things in order, but don't have to do anything. Level two, that gets that you need to start packing and be ready to bust out of there because levels can change very, very quickly. And then level three, which is red, which is go now. That's like go and get in your car, grab your animals. Hopefully you've already packed pictures or your little to-go box mm -hmm. and all that. And that's not the time to sit there and, well, let's see what, what am I going to take. Do we want to take this lamp or not? <laughs> yes. <laughs> nope. No, no lamps. Personal effects, documents, pets children uh you know and any important stuff but you know you need to you don't be waiting till level three see i i have i have two children there and so i would i would tell like my oldest one get in the car right now and then my younger one i'd say why don't you go ahead and try and load up the washing dryer and we'll meet you out there yeah <laughs> how rude that's so, just rude so yeah. i had a uh there was a fire Four years ago when I lived in, uh, I was living in the apartments and it was, I was in the second floor and kitty cornered down below me. I all of a sudden started to smell a fire and I jumped out of bed and my husband came bursting in the door because he was in the garages and he was like, get out now. And I ran out with no shoes. My dog followed me and we ran out and it was like, to be honest, there was nothing that was really important enough to grab besides my animals. Yeah. Which I didn't even grab. I <laughs> they followed, <laughs> but it was like no, there's nothing of importance to to get that jeopardizes your life. Um, right. I had a lady that was on the third story and she was older, and my husband was like, I banged on her door and she opened it and she said, I'm looking for my cat and shut the door on me and I had to open it back up and tell her no, come on. And at that point, he had came back down and I was out there and he was like, she's still up there, mm. and you can't see the doors anymore at this point because the smoke has completely covered and he was getting people from the next building over because they're still attached and I went up there and covered my face and found her coming down the stairs and I was like take my arm and, and let's go within a minute those stairs were completely engulfed in flames and it's just like nothing is worth I have I waiting have, exactly nothing nothing we we have I have thousands, literally thousands of photographs on a hard drive. I have documentation, birth certificates. I even have my divorce papers. All of that is on a hard drive. So in the event, and I've made backup hard drives, I can at least get that hard drive. I've still got. That's really smart. Thank you. You're you're, you're welcome. <laughs> that surprises you, doesn't it? It did a little bit. So I'm not going to work lie. with. So you have to work with. <laughs> what um, when something like that happens? What she said was that. It goes up so fast. Can, I, yeah. I don't think people realize just how quickly a fire can travel. Yeah, you know, fire doubles in size every 60 seconds. Oh, wow. Seriously. And it's exponential, so, you know, something, it doubles, but then it doubles again and doubles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it only takes a few minutes for, yeah. you know, a small trash can fire or a couch on fire, a lamp that's overheated and sparked at the outlet to become of room and contents or spread throughout a house. Wildland fires, you know, they'll, they'll spot two miles down. So that that's where, you know, you're two miles away from the fire and then we got all this wind and it's throwing sparks. Even from a house fire, it can throw sparks. That's why we're evacuating other areas around or other buildings right. because it can spread so quickly. So when somebody has a, a, a house fire or a yard fire 
and old G.I. Joe gets out there with his garden hose, that's not going to do squat, is it? It it may do a little bit, but a garden hose just doesn't have the oomph, oomph uh, <laughs> water flow to it, to take out all of the heat that's coming from a house fire these days. You know, with all the combustibles and polyesters and oils and whatever else is in all of our stuff that we keep in our houses. It's just too hot. Mm-hmm. So when, when her husband is playing G.I. Joe and he's going up there trying to get this elderly lady on the third floor, is that smart for him to do that? Or I mean, he's, he's a young, healthy guy. Should he do that or if, should he if, just... If you could do it safely, okay. yeah. Get get people out. But don't put yourself into into jeopardy. If you can do it relatively safety safely you know sure we'd love the help because most of the time it's the people that are already there that are going to get those people out Mm -hmm. you know and you know she was talking about the animals most of the time animals will be fine on their own they'll either find they're already low to the ground smoke comes from the top and settles down so long as they stay on the ground they're good. They will run from fire. So most of the time, they're running out the house, and oh, the cats so already. Why? <laughs> ever, they've beat the residents out. And her cats survived. She never got them. There was two of them in her apartment, and they did survive because they were so low to the ground, and they went and hid, and so they were they were safe. Right. They they go they go. A cat will go hide in the back corner of the closet, with all the, get underneath all the clothes. Pets. Our family, right? right. I, we we it. get that. But at the end of the day, it's not worth your life. But most of the time, those animals are designed to, to fight or flight. Mm-hmm. They will so, do what they can to when survive. When you pull up, let's, let's stay with her apartment. When you pull up on an apartment, the fire was on, what, the bottom floor? Is that mm-hmm. what you said? How do you attack that right off the bat? What's the first thing you're looking for? Are you looking for survivors? Are you looking for people trapped? What are you looking to do right it's, off the bat? First thing we do is we do what we call a 360. Go, the officer goes around the building, see what we got. Second, and about this at the same time, is we're rescue. Life safety is number one. Somebody trapped. Do we have reports of people trapped, whether from the dispatcher or caller, people screaming on scene. We see somebody hanging from a window or in a window. That's what we go after first. We will not put water on a fire if we need to go rescue somebody. Sometimes really? it's smart to put water on the fire to allow us to get to those people. But if we had the choice of somebody trapped and we can go get them versus putting water on the fire, we will go into what we call rescue mode and go and rescue those people. Won't you do both of those at the same time? Put water on a fire as you're as you're having somebody else go in there to try to get them? If we have the crews, but if I show up with one engine company with three people on it and we've got a report to somebody trapped, they will go in with or without a hose line to go try to rescue them. We need to take a short break. When we come back, more with today's special guest. Today's show is being brought to you by the Lule Group, Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Homes, Teresa Lule State Farm Insurance. We'll be back after this short timeout, and we're going to change focus here a little bit. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM. Brought to you today by the Lule Group. We're back in five, four, Q Terry. Two, one, you're on. Hey, this is Terry Saul, Saltissimo. You know, when it comes time to move into a new home, it's time to consider Don Lule Homes. The Lule difference is simply setting the bar for quality service in Salem. 
Find out today about custom-built new homes. Don Lule Homes offers open floor plans, quality craftsmanship, and over 50 years of excellent experience in new construction. Beautiful homes are coming soon. Call today and ask for Erica at 503-428-6992. Don Lule Homes. We are back. This is the Terry Saul Weekend Show, Salem's original radio station, KSLM AM and FM. I am your host, Amanda Smith, has joined us, and we are uh, also joined by Marion County Fire Chief Kyle McMahon. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. I am great. Glad to be here. We, uh, we're going to touch on a subject that, uh, again, is very close to home for you, and there's just really no simple way of getting into this other than the fact we're just going to dive into this. You have a son, Ben, who is 14 years old, and he committed suicide. He did. Again, there's no easy way of getting into this, so I'm just going to... Um, can you tell us... First of all, tell me a little bit about Ben. Ben, uh, he was a freshman in high school. Um, he, up until high school, he was the biggest kid on the, the football field since third grade. He was always bigger than everybody else, so he got to play uh, left tackle, which is the blind side yeah. uh, tackle and protect the quarterback. He enjoyed that. Uh, he, he had a little nickname, Tatanka, which meant Buffalo. Tatanka? Tatanka was uh, his nickname um, because... <laughs> Pretty much, he was uh, a big boy. He was a big boy, and he he'd uh, tackle guys or push them down on the ground, but then uh, reach his hand out and pick them back up oh, after the play was, was over. He was a gentle giant. He he was a very gentle soul. Yeah. Um, Did you, you have a chance to watch him play football a lot? Every weekend, every I, I was uh, I got to be the uh, basically the safety, the first aid guy. Yeah, uh, oh, because fun. I'm a paramedic, so yeah. I got to be on the sideline every every game. And so they would say, "Tatanka, there's your dad. He's here again." Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't don't don't. Don't yeah. say anything. Don't say don't, 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 don't He's speak. here again. <laughs> no, no. He was a very gentle soul and, uh, you know, good, just a really good kid. Yeah. How were his grades in school okay? Typical. <laughs> Typical. Uh, <laughs> he, he could have had A's, but, but you know, didn't. But, but, didn't. but didn't, but it, it really didn't matter. Yeah. Um, he, he could do better if he wanted, but yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you turn your homework in? Mm. No, I forgot. Yeah, see, he, he, was, he got bees. Yeah, my son, yeah. Ryan, you get your homework turned in? It's not due until tomorrow. Why don't you get started on it tonight? Why? Yeah. I got until tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, like that. Yeah, you see, you just don't deal with it. Yep. So um, at 14 years old, he decided to take his own life. He did. Okay. Did you, did you see anything leading up to that at all that now you can look back and say, gosh, I should have recognized that? I think that there wasn't a something that slapped you in the face. It was more just a little bit of more withdrawn. Um, you know, he kind of had a semi-friend that was girlfriend, but it wasn't really a girlfriend. And a little bit towards the end of his eighth grade year. But just more kind of, I guess, would say sadness, but then quickly got better once um, summer came. Sure, sure. Summer Nordle, he's got an older sister, Lauren. She's 21 now. Um, they played all summer and hung out, no problems. And then he went back to went to high school, freshman. Um, did he did he experiment with drugs at all? Do you know? Not that we that we know of. No no drugs or anything that we found since then in his room. Anything like that? Alcohol. Um, didn't really go over to other people's houses. You know, he'd meet them down at the park, sure. go and play, or he'd walk girls home from school because they were walking by themselves down Sunnyside oh, Road. Sweet guy. Yeah, it's real. Oh, no, ladies charmer. <laughs> ladies uh-huh. charmer. Hey, that um, works. You know, works. but nothing out of the ordinary. Looking back, it's like okay, a little bit of sadness, which is something that we learned. Typical. 
typical. Okay, end of school, maybe had to crush on a girl, but nothing like, you know, any, you know, was it suicide attempts or... Was he bullied you know. at all in school? Uh, we don't... Not that we can found. We found a little bit on social media that police, right. maybe there was a girl that were, was kind of making fun, but not, nothing that I would say was bullying to, to the things that you see happening now. Okay. Um, but it's those subtle signs that you learn now, looking retrospectively, it's like, well, yeah, that it would be maybe a little bit more cause, but, you know, up until the time that he died by suicide, there wasn't like, Gosh, we need to get you some help. What right. do you need? Put you on medications. Nope. You know, it was football. You know, it's a big transition so time. How did? How did? If you don't mind me asking again, how did he? How did he end his life? So he uh, found the forty caliber um, pistol. Oh no! Um, and I was. It's actually a very sad story that. Uh, but I, I, I shared because I don't want another family or parent to go through. We were over at uh, Lincoln City for my daughter's senior pictures. So she was three years older than him, and no problem. He loved the Nepalese restaurant that used to be in Lincoln City. It's not gone. It's gone now. It was really good food. You know, do you want us to bring you back something? Because for him, so he didn't make the trip over there with. No, that's for Lauren. Eh, That's boring. I don't want to sit in the car. But bring me back food. Okay, no problem. We did that and came back and said, "Hey," started yelling him at the front door, which is the normal thing. And he didn't wake up, you know, didn't respond, and we found him in his bedroom. Who found him? It was actually my uh, ex-wife at that time went down to catch him because I was bringing in things, and Lauren mm-hmm. was, thank goodness she didn't find him, but she found him. And did he, did he leave a note or anything? No notes. No so notes. You, to, you don't know what nope, made him find there, him? There was a couple things that we found after cleaning his room, you know, a couple notes to give this to this girl, I'll give that to this girl. Here's a picture, but it was in notebooks that was, you know, like in a backpack and it wasn't like all set out, set out or planned or what, whatnot. And, um, which looking, looking back now and the counselors that I've had, um, when you look at mental health, um, those, those people that are suicidal choose to make the conscious choice to live that day. And in that moment, they choose, I can't live with this pain or go. And in that split second, they just make the choice. They're not thinking about what's the ramifications. Right. It's this or that. Oh, I'm in so much pain right now. Boom. And when you're a 14 year old boy, you know, males. Uh, how, how, how was he that morning before you left to go to the coast? Fine. It seems like uh, there was no real big signs. No, which is... he, he was, okay, no, you guys go Lincoln City, I'm fine. You know, teenage boy playing football, you know, shoveling breakfast down. Right. <laughs> you know, as much food as you can. No problem. Yep, said, okay, I'll see you in three or four hours. No problem. Do you think at that point he knew what he was going to do? Do you think he planned the, that at all? No. No, like he was saying, it happens in that, that moment. No, Um you know, and this is all retrospective because sure, sure. you know, the, my goal to this day is so that another parent doesn't have to go through it because uh, it's the biggest failure of my life um, is losing uh, him. Um, you know, and that, that's, 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 yeah. Um, but I don't think it was planned because it, most of that, especially teenage and especially teenage boys, we're boys, 
men, <laughs> males. <laughs> it, it wasn't like, here, here's what we're going to do. It's an impulsive thing um, because most people, if they want to go through with it, will not reach out and say they need help because you will stop them. Right. They're just going to do it. They're just going to do it. And uh, prefrontal, get all technical, the prefrontal cortex, the front part of your brain when you're 14 and a teenager isn't developed until you're about 24, 26. Right. Okay. So all those thought processes and we all, the, the males mature at about 24, 26, and that's when, you know. After that happened, who did you blame? Who took the blame? Did you blame yourself? Did you blame your, your daughter for taking you away? Did you blame your wife? Who did you blame? All of it, you know, to, to the higher being, to myself, because I should have saw it. Being a firefighter, paramedic, and a nurse, you're, you're like, I'm supposed to be the leader. I'm supposed to save people. I couldn't even save my son, you know. You know, you, you go through that blame. You go through the processes of grieving, um, and you blame everybody, um, and you just have to that's part of the, the process and what they call the journey. That's just pieces that you have to go and you know that it's not your fault. It wasn't your fault. He chose to do it and it was a split second decision that they don't know what comes after. We get to, to deal with it all, but you know. I think one of the things that people don't realize that when, when something like that happens, if somebody chooses to end their life, especially the way your son did it with a, a gun and stuff there. And again, I don't want to sound graphic here, but somebody has to clean up. It's usually the family. Am I right? Yeah. So it's, you had to go in there, and after they removed your son, you had to go in there and clean up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How well, tough was that? It Well, <laughs> luck, that was pretty gruesome. Um, but luckily, we had a, a friend that uh, was uh, owned and worked for one of the re uh, restoration companies, oh. and he, he got a couple of other football. The football family was was great, and the fire service was great. But he was they were like, you know what? We're coming over. Yeah. We're gonna get all this stuff out and at least get it removed, mm -hmm. so we didn't have to deal with it. Yeah, and oh. and thankfully because that would have just been more traumatic. Oh sure. Um, your 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 daughter at that point was what seventeen years old or so. Geez, she was eighteen. Eighteen, okay. So, uh, seventeen, yep. Seventeen. How did she deal with it? She lost not very good. She lost her little brother. He, she lost her little brother. Her best, but back then, best friend. It was also her senior year. So everything that you plan for your senior year is guess what? Now it's all about Ben. Yeah. And unfortunately for spraying, you know, to, that added to. Her, which is, we should make it about her, but there was another, Aaron Brown was another freshman uh, a month later after Ben oh. died by suicide. So the Sprague High School, that all of those seniors got totally messed up because of what was happening. Yeah. And thankfully they had, Craig Swanson was the principal at Sprague then. He's uh, down in Lebanon now, great man. Um, you know, unfortunately he, it was all on as he was principal so he had to help navigate that but it, everything changed that entire year at that school for all of those kids but also started a lot of mental health awareness um, throughout the district and throughout the state and where we go today we need to take a short break we'll be back in just a moment you're listening to the terry saul show on kslm am and fm brought to you today by the lule group You're listening to The Terry Saul Show on KSLM AM and FM, brought to you today by the Lule Group. 
We are back. This is our final few minutes with today's show. And our guest has been Marion County uh, Fire Chief Kyle McMahon. And Amanda has joined us there. When we were talking in the last segment, we were talking about your son, Ben, who ended his life at 14 years of age there. You were married at the time. You had what another daughter. Yep. She okay. was three years older. She was a senior when he was a freshman. Okay. How did, how did your wife handle it? And not well. Um, she had suffered as expected, as expected, you know, right. to, to lose, lose a child, you know, is devastating in itself. And, uh, you know, she had struggled with depression and before, so that, that didn't help things at all, you know, and then obviously put stress on the marriage and all of those things. So it just, it was a tough thing to go through. You don't so get over. She, you ended up divorcing her. Yep. Okay. Filed for divorce, uh, about 18 months later. Um, just the statistic is over 50%. Some will say up to 90% after a loss of a child of the divorce will happen. Sure. Um, you know, and sure. Obviously, that was just a, another push uh, in that direction. Did she stay here in the area? She stayed here in the area for about four months and then moved to Montana to um, try to, you know, get a little freshness in her life sure. and then sure. be close to our, our daughter uh, who was going to Montana State in Bozeman. Um, at that time. Okay. And how's she doing? Uh, she tragically uh, died by suicide as well in 2020, just about two years ago uh, last week. Um, she just um, yeah, couldn't... Uh what do you say? What's the next words out of my mouth? I'm so sorry. Yeah. What do you say? You've been dealt some difficult it, cards, to it, say the least. Yeah. It, it's... Uh, it's yeah, diff you, difficult cards, I guess. Yeah. So you, before we started this show today, I asked you, I asked you, is there anything that you don't want to talk about? And you just looked at me and says, no, I'm an open book. You ask me anything you want. Why are you so available to talk about this? It, You've lost two family members, both to suicide. And yet you're going to sit down here with Amanda and I, and you're going to talk to us. Why? Because it's all about helping the, the, the next person. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a huge mental health crisis in, in the country. And I know what to, uh, you know, what it feels like. I've been through that journey. So my goal um, is to not have somebody else go through it. Unfortunately, it happens every day. Kids as young as 8 or 10 that I know of or have heard about are dying by suicide. Mm -hmm. Then you have veterans, you have nurses, police officers, firefighters. You know, it is a huge problem in this country. And if we don't talk about it, it's just going to get kind of foo-fooed, which luckily after um, Ben passed away, that started a, a movement of that it was okay, that it became more acceptable to talk. Mm -hmm. It was just to ask ask about your kids ask about your friends family are you okay and when they say well what does okay mean you know right. ask an open-ended question because it's devastating it you know it was devastating for me my family the fire service to the sprague community you know that that destroyed you know there was um, multiple kids that died by suicide at sprague high school that changed and you lost principals and teachers that, that chose to move away because it impacted so many people and, you know, the mental health resources. So we've got to talk about it. Nothing in my life, even being a fire chief, it, yeah, stressful job, firefighter, nurse, all of that. Nothing has put me into a deeper hole than losing my son and being that failure oh, as yeah. father. Oh, yeah. So all I can do is help somebody else. And, it, and it's... 
not therapeutic for me. I like to help people. And if that's my way to honor Ben, that, uh, you know, we get some help or help somebody in crisis, help that, um, that, that gives me strength. That's what gives me strength to go is that Ben wouldn't want me just, you know, moving away and being some hermit in, in Montana or right. sitting in my house. You know, you, you need to go on. You, you said twice now uh, in this interview today that you've, you feel that you're a failed father. How can you say that? You 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 didn't do it. You didn't pull the trigger. Uh, I don't mean to be so abrupt, but you didn't you didn't do it. You did everything that that you could do as a father. You loved your son. You loved your daughter. Mm-hmm. How can you say you're a failed father? I couldn't keep him alive. Um, that and that that was that's kind of my that's our responsibility as a dad. You know, and, and failure. I know I'm not a failure, but the, that. At the fundamental, what I was supposed to be, I was supposed to raise my kids, and he's no longer here. Yeah. You know, so that's... But you you didn't help him end his life. He chose to do that on his own. Correct. You can't take the blame for that. I, I don't believe that I take the blame for that. It's just... When I think of being a dad or being a fire chief, here's the, my roles and responsibilities. And I failed at one of those jobs. I don't blame myself for what he did. He made his decision. Split-second decision. That's not what I did, but I didn't live in his shoes. I don't live in anybody with that's suicidal. I've never been in that spot, and I hope that I never will, and I hope to keep others out of that, that that feels like it's this or this. I don't want to get to that point, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't. While I say it's a failure, I use that as a strength to to help others. Right. And I don't I don't dwell on it. And I, I appreciate you being bold and putting that right back in my face because pe- people do. I um, think what I honor and respect is that you do talk about it, and it shows that not everybody's life's perfect, but these are things that are real life. These are things that we have to overcome and address first and foremost. Um, and that, yeah, life happens. And it, do, it doesn't just, it, it doesn't pick and choose who it wants to happen to. Um, it, it happens to everybody. And it is a real life thing. Mm-hmm. So I respect you being so open and vulnerable to talk about these types of things because they're not easy to talk about. I can only imagine. So. Are, are you receiving any help right now? Um, any, any type of therapy? Any type of counseling? And this happened four years ago. Uh, if, if, if it was in my case, uh, I think I would dwell on this every day of my life. What type of help are you getting? Um, well, first, I have a very, very supportive, you know, fire service family mm-hmm. um, that knows the journey that I've been on. Um, and then I have an executive coach that I've had for six and a half years that's helped me professionally. But a lot of that stuff, most of it comes over to the personal side. I went through counseling. Right. I've tried a couple of counselors and they, they help through a lot of the acute stuff. But moving through life, um, it wasn't what I needed or they had done their their job and it was time to move on to some a different way, which right. is what anybody should do. If, if a counselor's not working for you or got you, progressed you to a point, choose another one. What What do you need right now? And that executive coach um, is very supportive and, uh, you know, it's it's accomplishing what I need right now. Mm-hmm. If, um, if somebody has, any of our listeners have any thoughts or doubts that they might want to end their life or if they think they have a child or an aunt, an uncle, father, whoever, that might be that thing. 
Who should they contact? The, there's actually a three-digit mental health and suicide line now, 988. That gets you to any national, just like 911, 988 gets you to a um, counselor, uh, crisis interventionist, um, or go to any emergency room, Salem area. We've got the crisis counseling center next to the hospital, but any emergency room will um, start the process of needing immediate help. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that 988 number. And for everybody, just ask the questions. Be interested in your kids. Don't yeah. just say, how is school? Fine. No. How is school? What it, What made it fine? Is right. it good? Is it bad? Watch for those behaviors because just like with Ben, there was just that small little thing and that might be all that you do. And you may intervene just by saying, hi, how was your day today? Right. Or say hi to somebody on the street. Um, Chief, I don't care what you say. You're an awesome man. You're Thank amazing. you. you know, uh, thank you for coming in. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And uh, you're going to come back and join us some more, aren't you? I, I have not been beat up enough, so I'm more than happy <laughs> to keep on coming back. We're just about out of time for today's show. Remember, you can catch our show every Saturday at 10 a.m. and a replay Sundays at 6 p.m. right here on Salem's original radio station, KSLM. A reminder, if you missed any of today's show or would like to hear any of my shows, you can always hear a podcast on our official KSLM website at www.kslm.news or on my official website at www.terrysall.com. If you would like to drop me a note, I'd love to hear from you. My email address is terry at kslm.news. We'll see you next time. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to The Terry Saul Show on Salem's original radio station, 104.3 FM and 1220 AM KSLM. Today's show is brought to you by the Lule Group, featuring Lule's Car Connection, Don Lule Holmes, and Teresa Lule's State Farm Insurance. That's a wrap. Thanks, everybody. Good show. Bye, everybody.